0: It's the True Penny Show with your host James True Penny Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show My name is James True Penny and this is my show And today we are at Ring of Honour for celebrating their 19th anniversary and to join me for this momentous occasion is Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir?
1: Doing okay. Glad to be back. I had to get back in here eventually, and uh, <laughs> was, was a certain bits of New Japan Creative on excursion. This seemed like the perfect <laughs>
0: <laughs> save me, Marcus. Save me from the horror.
1: Oh, uh, worst time! I'm having to witness my good my, my, my good friend on uh, wrestling torture, and now coming from Impact.
0: <laughs>
1: now, who it was from i was a bit conflicted
0: yes yeah oh, Just dreadful. Oh. anywho um yeah we're going on a tour of other things that aren't new japan as i did you know the first triple mania with john the other week to avoid talking about new japan and we've gone on to ring of honor not because we're avoiding new japan actually because it was the 19th anniversary and You know, Ring of Honor has been kind of one of those companies that we've gone back and forth on because they haven't always consistently hit the highlights. And it's been two years since we've looked at a Ring of Honor show. I was thinking about the last Ring of Honor show we saw or we reviewed would be the combined New Japan Ring of Honor show at Madison Square Garden, which was great on the New Japan side and was a little hit and miss on the Ring of Honor side. So... And then, of course, there has been issues, as <laughs> could be described as, you know, the chief booker getting fired. There is also the point, as you probably guessed, that most of the people who contribute to the Trooping Show are fairly liberal in mindset to the left of the wing there. And it is no, absolutely no I qualms about it that Sinclair Broadcasting is a right-wing hellhole. So it's intriguing to me that of all the wrestling companies that dealt with speaking out, Sinclair Broadcasting owned Ring of Honor was the one that actually did it properly. They had investigations. They fired the people who were responsible or come to terms with the people who were responsible, wrote the line underneath it, apologized and moved on, which is actually what you're supposed to do. And if there was one company on earth that you would think wouldn't do that, it would be Ring of Honor, but they are actually quite exemplary when it comes to human resources. This is that
1: yes. true? Yeah, it's, it's like the company, the wrestling company that was viewed as having the uh, least amount responsibility in terms of their uh, consistency and actions, actually took that time of being relegated to the to the corner, if you will, like a child, to end up taking the
0: responsibility.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's it that's. That's interesting.
0: It is. It really is. And it's it intrigues me that you know we giving over on our hard time quite rightly for being owned by Sinclair which you know has done some deep dark things like for those of you who don't know Sinclair is a broadcasting company that's strong into the Republican party and certainly into the Trump campaign. They run a lot of local stations and what's really kind of dark and mysterious is that you will see a news story in Delaware and you'll see a news story in Missouri, and the script will be almost exactly the same, despite the fact the Delaware station is a CBS station and the Missouri station is a Fox station, because they're affiliated to different companies. Because they're owned by Sinclair, they actually control the news locally much more, and that's kind of got sinister overtones when it comes to democracy, which is the reason why Ring of Honor gets a lot of stick for its political positions, and it's not actually anything to do with the wrestling, because most of the people who work for Ring of Honor are quite centrally minded there's a few you know notable right-wing people who work for the company but i don't think they work for the company because they're right wing they work for the company because they're employed to be professional wrestlers so it's it's a bit it's a bit of an odd place really isn't it
1: yeah it, it
0: is but it, but it is kind
1: of has grown a bit like you know to your point and you know grown to a bit uh, at times uh, which is why we kind of you know faded off from it kinda of, you know grew to be like a almost like a three headed monster of his own making in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah. So there's so much focus on this it ended up being on this company when you look at like just the, the amount of uh financial backing that that can be put into it and it's just not been. So it you know it kind of felt like um you know kinda of got treated like that that black uh that black sheep if you will. Yeah. Very much convenient for a lot of these L's that the company is taking. But, you know, like we said, it's, it's, you know, there's some irony in the fact that just how well of all the companies in the industry that how well they handle it. Maybe a lot of it is because that, you know, the expectations for them were low. Yeah.
0: But I think possibly, I think, I think as well, they want to dot the I's across the T's when it comes to human resources, because they're a big international corporation. If they get it wrong, it costs them a lot of money, Mm -hmm. you know, and, the wrestlers are employees of the company. This isn't WWE where they are independent contractors. They, they have rights and health insurance and other things that, you know, wrestlers need to get looked after. And it's, it, you, you're right. I think that's the thing this ring of honor today kind of reads more like WCW in the sense that WCW for a long while was a good tax write off for Turner broadcasting because they never made any money but their VHS sales in the 1990s were through the roof. You know, they they sold thousands upon thousands of VHS tapes, but WCW never saw that money because it was Turner Hone Entertainment that made that money. So therefore, you know, WCW always considered to be a bit of a lame duck when it came to actually making money, but they did a lot better than people made out, I think. And Ring of Honor is kind of in that position. Though we don't obviously deal with VHS anymore, certainly Ring of Honor Styled itself on the tape trading circuit on the DVD circuit, as much as you see in the opening of this, the opening montage of this show, where somebody pulls a VHS out of a drawer and it's the first Ring of Honor show in New York City. Um, and that was 19 years ago. And that's terrifying me because I can remember reading about the first Ring of Honor show in Power Sun magazine 19 years ago. And that main event, um, it was Chris Daniels, AJ Styles, and Samoa Joe, I think. Off the top of my head, uh, was the that it was the main event. Neddy Guerrero versus Super Crazy wasn't even considered good enough to be the main event of that show. Uh, the bookers of that show were kind of really pushing forward what was what the new direction of pro wrestling was going to be. Twenty years later, it turns out they were absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, who won the Intercontinental or was it the World Tag Team Championships at WrestleMania last night? AJ Styles completing a grand slam of championships and the first person to do it in Impact Wrestling and in WWE. So, you know, Ring of Honor has been the trendsetter for such a long time. And you kind of got the feel of that with this show. And they're kind of trying to set trends again, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah, like we said, they kind of felt like for the longest time they've, they've kind of been stuck in a rut um sadly enough kind of you know it sent, felt like by choice at times um but now it seems like they you know they're kind of getting back to the basics in a lot of ways and you know you know but uh, you know obviously introducing a pure tournament which you know elements with which we'll get off into but you know introducing you know that um not really being able to at this point rely so heavily on you know new japan and and uh you know that those other company influences, so they're, they're having to hone the talent that they have and, and you know, kind of be confident and give them the ball. Um, and you know, just less less has always been more. They've always had certain foundational elements that they haven't needed to change. They just they kind of needed to hone and tweak and, and, and improve here and stuff. In there. And then it seems like, you know, that's that's kind of what they're doing now. So that's good.
0: I think as well, it is like the um the, the the way the company is going is kind of built around faction warfare um and traditionally if you go back into the early days of Ring of Honor with the embassy and those early factions of Ring of Honor it was always built around that faction warfare and they've got a tight and compact roster now they can't afford to like let things go big again because it's it's costly and also the, as usual, they lose talent for various different reasons to different companies, one thing or another. But it felt like a compelling type product. It felt like something that was together. I, and especially as like watching this show, wrestling without an audience is very unforgiving. Mm-hmm. I think. And, you know, there, there was some slipshod stuff in as far as match content was concerned in this. And I'll forgive that because it's a wrestling show and I understand it's. It's one of your big shows of the year and there's pressure on and you've got no gauge to react to. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I actually enjoyed the fact that it wasn't crisp and perfect a lot of the time. Um, but there were some cracking matches on this. And I think they're, they're on to something here Uh for what the company is at the minute. It's the best thing that they can do, I think.
1: Yeah, and, and coming after this, because I, I like usually going to... Uh... You know, when we do these shows kind of going to it, uh, watching it with, with a bit of fresh eyes and I watch just coming off of mania. and you're absolutely right, you know, you know, because we we everybody got forced to watch these shows without you know the central third man mm. uh, ultimate third man being the audience. and you know, watching mania, you really see you know the the difference that it makes when it's actually real people and you 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 know you get that visceral yeah reaction back and what that does, not just for the talent. But the show overall, and you was a fan, so, you know, to these guys' credit, and I think, you know, to your point, it really shows just how, like you said, kind of, you know, um, trimmed down and honed in in terms of the roster and these characters that, you know, because like you said, you're really, playing, you're really playing to yourself when the audience isn't there. So for them to be able to hone in on the storylines and the character beats and, and obviously the talent's always been there, but, you know, even more so now, you know, really speaks volumes to, you know, because the audience not being there really breaks breaks down the bare bones of what you have. And if it's really not nothing at all, it's going to show. And I think that's overall what this show showed is that there's definitely something so a lot there. You know, that's, that's quality.
0: Yeah. Uh, for one thing, it was just a wrestling show with no canned crowd noise, which Impact do. And I find incredibly distracting because I'm watching the show and I know no one's there. And everyone who's watching knows no one's there, so why is there crowd noise? It doesn't make any sense. So, <laughs> so they're just like, it's better an impact just to start with, just for that. Um The other thing you noticed is commentary team. Caprice Coleman, Ian Riccobani, and Rocky Romero are excellent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Those well-balanced um commentary. Kind of Rocky stole the show a little bit, I think, <laughs> as he always tends to do. <laughs> but, you know... It was good. I really enjoyed the commentary. So let's start with the first match. It was Tracy Williams. He, was, he defeated Kenny King, who was replacing Dragon Lee, <laughs> who was defending his Ring of Honor World Television Championship. And they, uh, Kerry King was represented by Amy Rose. The match lasted for 7 minutes and 16 seconds. Because of COVID protocols, Dragon Lee had to self-isolate. Therefore, he nominated Kenny King to defend the championship for him. Out of the LFI faction, that's the Los Faction Ignorables. Not Los Ignorables. That's a different faction in CMLL. This is the AAA faction, which has been expanded into Ring of Honor, even though Ring of Honor has an agreement with CMLL. It's complicated, basically, because CMLL didn't actually copyright the term Los Ignorables. So therefore, uh, the members of Los Ignorables who left CMLL uh, had a big fallout with them, which would be Dragon Lee and Rouge, who are brothers, uh, went to AAA and reformed Los Ignorables, or the faction de Ignorables, with LA Park, and also brought the faction to Ring of Honor because, you know, they also kept working with Ring of Honor. So, again, complicated. However, the Cup shot was Kenny King had to wrestle Tracy Williams in a match that was very good, I thought. What did you think of this, Marcus?
1: Yeah, I, I dug it to to uh, kick off the show. Um, this is gonna be a conversation. When, 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 <laughs> back to the to, to the you know uh, faction headquarters. Um, as somebody who was obviously an long impact fan, uh um, kind of by default root for my man Kenny King. <laughs> in, in most scenarios, he's in, and uh, it's like, ah, like he'll yeah, get some momentum, but they just kind of find a way to have a man come up short. Uh, <laughs> of course. You know, again, uh, it will be when he's literally subbing in for another man's title, title match. So, you know, it's uh, at this point, it's almost like it wouldn't be Kenny King if it wouldn't be hijinks like this. It's like, um, you know, what what uh, we were talking about in that tweet where, like, Godot was now a former world champion by default, which is <laughs> uh
0: Yes, only Kenny King could lose more TV championship matches than titles he's had. Um, but it was fun I I must admit I've not seen much Tracy Williams before uh, because he kind of came to Ring of Honor and started being a regular player just as I stopped watching it so it, it was interesting to see him and it was interesting how much he looks like a guy who could go in the company he's got that style he's got that stance he's got that presence that Ring of Honor need I mean Kenny King's job now as kind of the elder statesman of the company is to get these younger guys over and this was perfectly well done
1: yeah, good stuff. Like, I, I, you know, came to, you know, know Chase Williams through um, the Period Tournament, which is what actually brought me back to uh, Ring mm-hmm. of Honor um, recently. So, you know, he's a guy that I didn't take much stock in just off first look, but then they, they did really good with some of those those uh, introduction to, uh, vignettes, and it really felt like, you know, it was kind of like a reintroduction to, you know, the, the company and these, these guys that's coming up. So, you know, Trace is definitely a guy that, you know, you may – look at it and be like oh he doesn't seem like much but he's always going to turn it up when he's in that ring and i think like you said somebody's experience you know as king is like the perfect opponent in that scenario but like i said this is going to be a conversation that needs to be had um back at hq because uh you know you would imagine dragon Lee's gonna uh make a b <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah but i mean that's 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 the uh, disadvantage of COVID is you get nasty surprises like this but also that's a rematch down the line. You never took my belt off me. you beat my substitute. is you know that's, an, that's a really important distinction as well, you know. Um, and as well, Troy as you mentioned, Tracy Williams is part of the Foundation faction, which is kind of like the traditionalists of Ring of Honor, the pure wrestlers, if you will, um, trying to bring purity back to Ring of Honor, which has sorely been lacking down the years, um, which is fair enough, I think. <laughs> but yeah no this was good entertaining stuff I liked Amy Rose as a manager as well she worked really well too um, yeah. should we move on to the second match yeah okay so this one was Flip Gordon who had been used as a mercenary these days apparently Flip is off the grid I'm glad somebody took Twitter off of Flip I think that was a mercy killing to be honest <laughs> um, with you managed to bury himself on a weekly basis Not that he was particularly offensive, just really stupid. Um, Versus Mark Briscoe, uh, someone who, again, isn't on Twitter uh, and quite sensibly so for some of his opinions down the years. But Mark is relatively inoffensive compared to some people. And again, another corking kind of match from two guys you kind of expect to have good matches. I'm not a flip fan, as you probably guessed. I do like Mark Briscoe's wrestling, but these guys are kind of what Ring of Honor are now? Flip's been there for a long time. You know, he didn't go to AEW like a lot of people would have suspected he would have done, though he was injured at the time. Um, and he's kind of got a good thing going with all of that dead wood that's left I don't wish to call the elite dead wood, but you know what I mean. All yeah. of that that personnel that went to AEW suddenly means Flip is a major player in the company just by default because he's been there longer than other people. And he's got the presence and the skills to make it work. Flip wins this match and gives him something else. He's beaten a former television champion and a tag team champion, and there's there's another move forward for Flip. And Mark, again, he's literally been there, as they say, since day one. Nineteen years in Ring of Honor. Um, amazingly, still incredibly young, uh, comparatively speaking. You know, he's younger than Tanahashi, and he's younger than he's younger than Ibushi, I think. Um, so, you know, he's got, still got that presence and he's still incredibly valuable to Ring of Honor, not just as a tag team wrestler, but as a singles wrestler as well. What's your thoughts on these two?
1: Yeah, agreed. You know, uh, despite how, you know, we, you know, people may feel about both these guys, specifically, you know, earth, us when it comes to flat, oh, flat earth flip is what I like. <laughs> just, um, yeah, you know, I, I dug this match, you know, these are, you know, like I said, you know, uh personal with Austin feelings aside you know you can always appreciate these guys uh in the ring specifically somebody like mark briscoe like you said 19 year vet in ring of honor and uh you know he always has a certain amount of deliverance um and and just really also a guy that really feels like he's a multi-tool player because he kind of really is able to fit in any spot and you know to do what he's doing um i'm a big fan of that froggy bow um when it comes to flip you know, it's been interesting. You know, I, I almost kind of have a, a certain appreciation for somebody who can uh, kind of not go with the tide, if you will, and kind of, uh, you know, stick with his gun and stay in Ring of Honor. Like you said, he was injured at the time. But, you know, a lot of people, we've seen a lot of people jump ship, Yeah. Uh, you know, specifically from Ring of Honor when it's, you know, been, been the most convenient for him. So, you know, I, I do have a, a certain amount, like I said, of respect and appreciation for that. And also just the fact of being able to watch Flip you know, transition. You know, as a performer, mm. specifically looking at him physically. Mm. You know, you know, uh, during that time when I, you know, we kind of, I kind of faded off from the thing. Is when he was doing that whole thing with, with mm. bully, and then that was a whole to do. And um, you know, it really feels like he's, you know, putting in the work to obviously transform, you know, himself physically, but also that character, and then turn it into a more aggressive thing. You know, so you know, obviously he still has those high flying elements, but you know, a bit more of a smash-mouth grounded style that's, you know, almost transforming into a hybrid so he can, you know, go up against guys like Mark Briscoe and look very much convincing in a win and, you know, maybe take him towards a championship, which may have not necessarily been in the before, cause before because even as talented as he is, you know, kind of just felt like he was floating, you know, a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's got more direction now. I think that is the thing with the the bully stuff at that, that what, two years ago now... Bully Ray is a kind of wrestler that anywhere he has a presence in the company is always big and he was overshadowing what the company was doing. And he isn't everyone's cup of tea to be honest with you. Certainly not Ring of Honor fans cup of tea. He wasn't as hated as much as Cornette was. Let's be honest. Few people are. <laughs> but he, he had that. He didn't have what as a booker and that kind of sense of what ring of honor was supposed to be about. I don't think it didn't seem like the same product. It seemed like they were trying to fill arenas without really thinking about the core audience. Yeah. And that's when you start dropping clangers in the wrestling world, in this wrestling world. And every wrestling booker that's in ring of honor has come a cropper for that reason. Cause they forget about what the core audience wants. And it's ring of Honor's kind of, of has kind of got stuck in that area of their core audience wants one thing and the mainstream wrestling audience wants something else. So they're never going to get bigger than what they ever really have done. It's just occasionally they'll get a big star like Cody or the young Bucks or Kenny Omega, and they'll break out into the mainstream for a little while until yeah. those people kind of go, well, we're bigger than you now, so we have to go somewhere else. And I think that's, I think, Ring of Honor seems happier now because it knows what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it you know that it always felt like, and, and this is again, you know, why you know they they've been so successful and uh, so rooted in the the core of the success of where so many guys are now, is because you know, you know they, they they very much had that niche audience and they very much had this synergistic um, energy between them and the audience. The way they were 100% honed in. Um, you you go back, you know, to that match that Joe had uh, with the legendary. His name escapes me right now. But um, that match that Joe had, uh, and I say he got chopped in his, hit, chopped into his thirties. Um, like I say, the name escapes me right now. But but right. just being able to bring in names um, at times and really work them into the to their natural product instead of having you know certain names uh, just come in and just warp the ideology in a way because like you said during that time with uh bullet ray very much it got away from that that company audience synergy and very much turned into a dictatorship Mm -hmm. it felt like so you know that that kind of set them back and like you said now seem like they're getting back to basics and um just getting back to what they you know do i think over time you know that they're able to get to that get back to those spots better in terms of breaking in the mainstream, but when they've completely deterred from it, you know, it's never been sustainable enough um, in any way. So when that that momentum kind of died down, at least they had, you know, the foundation back to fall on, they left the foundation, um, which ironically enough is the name of a faction that's trying to get them back to their roots. <laughs> you know, you know. so when they, you know, left that, it just all went for nothing. And then you, that's backed by like, okay, they, they've forgotten their identity and their parent company doesn't even thank them enough to put the finances in them to even gloss it up. So, when, when things are falling apart, it at least kind of looks, looks good. So, you yeah. Know. Uh,
0: let's move on to the next match, which was an intriguing one. Dalton Castle versus Josh Woods. Josh Woods is managed by Silas Young. Um, we now all know what Silas is about. This was 10 minutes and 19 seconds. But this was much more character-based than you kind of expected. I will admit, I thought Dalton would be the guy to go, and his contract was up a while ago, and he stayed. And I think it's not necessarily a bad move because he's a star player in in the the big in Ring of Honor, which is a big company. It's not a small company. He can make a decent living Ring of Honor. But um, well, I think he would. They WWE would not get Dalton Castle even now, and I don't think he would do much better in Impact Wrestling. So Ring of Honor kind of seems to me the place to be for him. Yeah. Um, and Josh Woods again, someone not seen much of, but I was impressed with what I saw. A little fire plug wrestler with a lot of fire and a bit of a baby face turn by default in this matchup.
1: <laughs> it's, you know it's interesting you know, and I'm glad you brought up that point. It's um because there's so much time and, and effort and uh, that's been put into that to that character of, of, of Dalton Castle. Uh, specifically, you know, honing him, you know, and really growing that character to not just a place of um, you know, showmanship but but one of, of showmanship and delivery. Um in, in terms of, you know, high pressure situations. And it's it's weird, kinda like the seems like kinda like the unfair shake he had when he was champion because he was dealing with so many uh physical ailments. Um, specifically I think with his back. So I don't know if he necessarily got the the, the appreciation that went along with the you know bill that it took to get him there, um, but I think Dalton's uh, you know kind of honed himself to be a, another multi tool player in this company, um, and now it kind of feels like he's on on veteran status. So going against somebody like Josh Woods, who's very much up and coming, somebody else who mm. uh, really had a great showing in the Pure Tournament, you know, the to be paired with somebody like Silas, who was very much um, this is the definition of a grizzled vet, <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you know, like we talked about with the Briscoes, the young seems like another pillar in the company they've been able to, you know, that's that's saw his value with with staying in the company, and uh, you know, so for him to be in a mentor spot now, um, because normally he'd be going after and beating up somebody like Woods for being the young and up and coming guy, um, <laughs> that role kind of evolved is really cool, but. Yeah, like you said, this was a good good outing. And, and Woods, you know, Woods doesn't hurt from this loss. Like I said, Dalton is kind of like um, the Jay Lethal in this scenario. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a momentum-building loss, you know.
0: Yeah, as well. Uh, Silas Young's suit is awful. I mean, it's categorically terrible. But it's the perfect <laughs> choice for Silas. Because Silas would think he looks great. <laughs> but he... He looks awful. Someone let you out of the house looking like that? Yeah, it's brilliant. I just love that. I mean, Silas is a character I'm not particularly keen on because it is entirely an entire character made of toxic masculinity. However, yeah. Silas knows what he is, and he knows how to get heat with it, and that's exactly what it is. You don't put on a nice, freshly tailored suit. You put on a suit that's one size too small, makes you look like a used car salesman, and you, you start talking gruffly. That's what you do. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was, it was was a brilliant piece of character work and kind of shows you exactly what Silas Young is for, what Dalton Castle is for, and how well they can use Josh Woods. Because essentially, Josh Woods didn't really need to do anything. Dalton Castle could just wrestle around him. Silas executed that angle to perfection. I'm not saying that Josh didn't do anything. He did really well. But you know what I mean? You, yeah. With that kind of basic nuts and bolts booking you can really go no wrong yeah. speaking of something that definitely wasn't nuts and bolt booking <laughs> <laughs> ec3 brings his traveling psychodrama to ring of honor um and to be honest this is essentially the same angle they ran with moose in impact wrestling what two months ago yeah and it's the same angle that they're running with jay briscoe I'm assuming he's going to go to, I don't know, MLW and do the same thing. (laughs) God. (laughs) And then possibly to New Japan Strong and do the same thing with Kenta. Which would be kind of cool. I'd like to see EC3 versus Kenta. I think EC3 and New Japan would be outstanding. I would love to see that. I doubt it'll ever happen. But there you go. Um, And it wasn't dreadful. But again, it was kind of the thing I've seen before. It was better executed because Jay Briscoe is an infinitely better wrestler than Moose is. However, it still won. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't like the thing I was trying to get. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I you know, I can go several ring of honor shows and not, not, you know, see uh, Jay Briscoe. Um, like, you know, like his brother, he's definitely a pillar at this point. Um, and then, definitely can can fit in any scenario you put him in, um, but he's kind of you know what that character is. It's kind of just what that character is, um, and, and they're going against somebody like EC3, who you know, as much as a fan of him as I used to be, this this has to be one. Of the, and I was talking with with another one of my friends about this, like this has to be one of the most convoluted character narratives I've seen in a while. <laughs> it's a narrative thing, and it's like with all the momentum we. It had an impact built up with Moose. He very much seemed like, like an unnecessary roadblock that they put in his way. Yeah, because uh, it just didn't make no doggone sense, and it made EC three come off looking worse. Uh, yeah. But, you know, because at least Moose got a freaking win out of it. Um. But this whole you know um changed the narrative thing. I'm like, can you change yours? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Dixie's nephew Jesus. Like it just um. And with this, like I said, you run into Jay Briscoe, who was like, "This dude isn't gonna change now." Like it's like, however yeah, <laughs> many years in, that's uh that that that's not a, you know, that that type of mentality that guy has is not a it's not a hobby. It's a it's, a, it's a damn near religion. You know? <laughs> so so him running runs into him. Was like, it's not really gonna do much. It, if it it was cool to see him, you know, get in there and wrestle with somebody like Jay. For an extended period of time, when I get with with his new look, because it's not really something we got, and certainly not something we got in that match he had with Moose. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like I just find myself asking with everything I've seen with him in this current uh, narrative thing he's doing. It's like, where's this going? Yeah, where's this all going, dude? Like I'm just like like I was rooting for you to kind of, you know, get that WWE stink off you and get back to some semblance of, of of normalcy. I'm not saying you had to jump right back into everything we got, what you would Ethan Carter the third, but it's I don't know what this is.
0: No, it's just a bit. It's um, I can't really describe what's wrong with it, other than it seems ordinary, and he's such not an ordinary wrestler. Yeah, you know he's 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 not. I mean, he's not um he's not like Luther's, but his ability to like deliver a character and produce crisp world-class matches on a regular basis. And he's of a style and he's a certain thing, but he's one of the best in the world at that thing. And this isn't his best work. And he's worth a bit more than this. And I don't know why, like you said, I think it's just too convoluted. You know, again, it is like, why would you pick on Jay Briscoe with this? Why would you run this angle with Jay Briscoe? Surely Matt Taven, this is this is Matt Taven written all over it, hasn't it? Wouldn't you put him a C three versus Matt Taven? They're, they're kind of similar ages, they're kind of similar kind of outlooks. I think Taven would be the perfect guy for this. All right, he's hooked up with Vincent in that big blood feud. But it makes more sense to me. I guess Jay Jay was free. He's not doing anything. Let's give him this, and he's capable enough and experienced enough to make it work, which it did to an extent. But it's not. <laughs> It's not what you see the Briscoe brothers for, is it?
1: No, you know, no, it's it's uh it's not. And like I say, I, I appreciate you know the the kind of match you can get out of it, but ultimately when the, when the character is so you know driven, but but you know, by like I said, this whole narrative thing, and ultimately what even in a loss what he could um do, it's like it it, it doesn't work because you're essentially running into a wall with a character like Jay Briscoe. You know, it almost like Like i don't know if they came up with a a list of people that you know for him to go after like this might have worked better with like a young and -and up-and-coming guy or somebody who's kind of in a middle road passage if you will in that ring of honor journey where who they came in as is no longer working um but they you know they haven't necessarily honed their skills enough to go to the person they need to be yet to get where they gotta go so he can kind of catch them in the middle maybe manipulate them a little bit but, you know, against somebody like Jay, it's like, OK, this, if even we don't understand what this guy is trying to do with this character, at least we can get a tough match out of him against Jay. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's what this was. It wasn't anything particularly to write home about, but it was good for what it was. But it, again, we kind of just expect better, don't we? Really? Yeah. Uh, what was really good was Bandido, Flamita and Ray Horace, The Mexi Squad. Mexi-Squad, who are another faction in Ring of Honor, who had a bit of a falling out. So they said, right, lads, let's just have a match and sell it all. And Flamita kind of was the one who was kind of grumpy about the whole thing and quit the Mexi-Squad in the middle of this match and was a bit aggrieved at the end of it when Bandido won 10 minutes and 47 seconds. It's a good old-fashioned jealousy of the leader of a faction kind of deal. And it's a nice little simple story, which allows you to have fantastic matches with three guys who can really go. What's your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I dug this. This was this was my kind of affair, um, and it just got to the point where I just surrendered to the match and stopped trying to differentiate between the masks. You um, just just you know just really enjoyed it. I mean, all these guys look look sick. They got you know great uh, aesthetics, but. Uh, yeah, you know, this was just want to kind of sit back and enjoy, and kind of realize these guys have been teaming, and you know, this was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, let's just kind of break this up and see what happens. Uh, mm-hmm. Scenario maybe for a one-off, and then I don't know, like you said, what 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 ended up happening. That certainly wasn't that necessarily the idea, but you know, Bandino has kind of, you know, a lot of times stood apart from the pack because it seems like he's been kind of going dolo uh, for a while now, and it's kind of seemed like you know. Makes it a point to kind of stand out more than maybe certain others, but um, yeah, I mean, this was this this match delivered. It, it used up all those ten minutes and forty-seven seconds to be, you know, hella entertaining. I kind of think back to for a second, like if this was Lucha Underground, this might have been like, what Puma, Phoenix, and Pentagon. Yeah, uh, this
0: a, yeah, this is the next generation of major Lucha stars, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's uh, certainly North America. There are people who are getting picked up by WWE, but they're tending to have big careers in Mexico first. Um, whereas these guys kind of, well, Bandido just kind of skipped his career in Mexico and went straight to North America. Kind of got started, kind of quit CMLL, kind of went to some of the places and then came back again. And it's, yeah, I think these guys are always going to get noticed because they're so different, especially in an environment like Ring of Honor, which has become so matte and Brawl based. They stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, even like, you know, Flip Gordon barely left his feet in his match compared to these three who were flying about all over the place. So they stick out like a sore thumb, which means they're more um, more watchable, really. Which is kind of like what Lucha's done down the years, especially in WCW. That's where people started noticing that Luchadors could get over in North America. And they're doing the same thing here. So- yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, was it this one where we had Maria Kanellis-Bennett, or was it after the... It was this after this one, wasn't it? Because they set up for the thing. Okay, then. <laughs> Maria Kanellis-Bellett was announced as a new member of the Board of Directors. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. At Ring of Honor, why would you get the former leader of a faction to be, to be on the Board of Directors? i she spent literally years trying to bring Ring of Honor down to its knees using the Young books and Matt Taven and uh, Mike Bennett and all of these people to, to destroy Ring of Honor from within. So now you're going to make her the on, on the board of directors. There's wrestling logic for you. Really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of seems kind of productive and, and not to um, come off too much like a... you know. Um, you know, toxic red-blooded male or anything, but it's like you, one of the most uh, gift wrestling things ever is, is is that clip from New Japan where she stood on the apron and, and um, distracted Carl Anderson. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: It's yeah. like not not to hone this woman specifically, just this, this now, uh, you know, a uh, mul- multiple-time mother over to just a piece of meat, but I feel like it's it's something, you know, other things to be done. Uh, that she can do and thrive in other roles, specifically if she's going to be back in the company with her husband, um, and just that the history they have with the company. There's other stuff to be done. Uh, it seems like a better decisions to be made, but you know who knows? You know, stranger, they've done stranger things.
0: It 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 did yes. But apparently, she's in charge of women of well, no, no longer women of honor, the Ring of Honor Women's Division. Let's get that right, because there will be a Ring of Honours women's tournament, which they tried to do last year, but COVID got interfered with, yeah. COVID interfered with. That was supposed to happen last year to crown the new woman of Honour champion, which, because, not Women of Honour, Ring of Honour Women's Champion, because it was all left in a bit of a mess pre-COVID, and they were going to try and start again, especially as the, you know, the, the woman who was champion quit the company, and there was a lot of acrimony around that, because of... Yeah. There is a, it was it was a big old mess and, you
1: know yeah, it definitely it definitely was a cluster and they, they lost some some serious names because I mean they you know a lot of people they were able to bring in because of you know that, that startup was something new and you know taking a lot of pride and building something from the ground up for a lot of people I think that's how they kind of you know with their mishandling of it that's how they turned away obviously their champion with just mishandling of so many things. But uh, also you look at names like Diana Perazzo, who was looking to be yep. pivotal in that. And, and now, you know, obviously, you know, her momentum is elsewhere. But, you know, I, I wish them the best of luck with it. And obviously, I think Maria has been involved in enough stuff around the industry, specifically looking at all the the do's and the don'ts when it comes to women, when it comes to WWE. Yeah. Um, and, and then even going to Impact and stuff to, to look at at least what, what, what works on paper, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, and they've got the right people to do it with. Like, you've got the Allure uh, there who had a less than auspicious debut. Uh, but Angelina Jolie is an exceptionally talented professional wrestler. And uh, Mandy Rose can, sorry, not Mandy Rose. I'm trying to remember who, who's her partner. Mandy.
1: Did you, did you mean Angelina
0: Love? Angelina Love, yes. Who did I say?
1: Angelina Jolie. <laughs>
0: Angelina Jolie. Oh, crumbs. I'm having an afternoon, clearly. It's because the names are on the screen. That's really. I said Angelina Jolie. Wow. Oh, it's been a long year. Uh, Angelina Love is an exceptionally talented professional wrestler. Um, and it's... I'm trying to remember her tag team partner. It's Mandy, isn't it? Mandy...
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry, Mandy Leon, that's it. Mandy Leon was a young up-and-coming star who kind of got taken under her wing. No more Velvet Sky, thankfully. Um, <laughs> um, but yes uh, so there's the top heel kind of faction presence you've got people like Sumi Sakai who could literally produce a five star match in a telephone booth so I don't see anything wrong with like the actual generalship of the division and you're bringing in some new people like Session Boss, and I, it's like Session Moth's been like waiting a year to make a ring up on a TV debut <laughs> it's like you know, in this tournament, and it's like she's kind of been at home, paid to be at home for a year in Ireland, which is great for her, but not great for the momentum of career because, you know, she chose Ring of Honor, and um, Ring of Honor just couldn't book her.
1: Yeah. Or else? Yeah, and, and you know, the more that we talk about it, the more I'm, I'm slightly more intrigued towards them getting the right the second time, Um, obviously with all that that butt in terms of – uh that more gray area they were certainly in kind of, kind of, you know, more so in the light now, um, you know, look at somebody like Marie, even with what I said, like, it, it also benefits that it, it, you know, she's never come off like somebody that would get in a situation like this just to benefit herself, to get herself in. Because, like, yeah. you know, we've seen that throughout the years so many times, so many different variations, and it's sickening at this point. Um, so I, I think she she knows what she's good at. Um and know that she thrives and you know can thrive on the mic because you know we go back and I think even at the time you kind of, you know you you praised that whole situation that w- with her Gail and Allie should not have worked. It shouldn't have done. You
0: know, oh, and and Maria isn't a gifted technical wrestler. She's the absolute bump machine, and she is willing to do anything to make a match work. Yeah, that's what makes her great, and yeah. her ability to if you'll pardon the pun, show her ass as a heel, that, yeah. the, pardon the, the expression, but that, that is the expression. Um, her ability to do that, her ability to use a microphone is second to none in women's wrestling, really, in North America. So, yeah, she knows what she's doing. She knows how to present that division. They're giving Quinn Mackay a chance to wrestle. She's been a backstage reporter for a long time, but she has been in training for a long time, too. There's plenty of good things that could happen with that division. Yeah. And I think they're kind of getting the idea that they need one because they look like the odd people out because they haven't got one if you're a major company. And they've got it wrong so many times before. And they keep losing talent because they keep going it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, you know, Deanna Perazzo now with all that presence and all that ability in Ring of Honor would be a bigger star than anyone else in the company. You know, like, seriously, you know, Jay Lethal wouldn't stand a chance compared to Deanna Perrazzo right now. And, but they let her go. (laughs) You know, so it's just like, well, you don't do that again, do you? You know, but there you go. Um, Let us go back to the wrestling, though. Matt Taven and Vincent had a wrestling match in what appeared to be a um, YMCA somewhere in New York, where Matt Taven and Vincent apparently trained as children together, and it was a bit cinematic and bizarre, to be honest with you. What did you think of this? Because it was just weird.
1: <laughs> it was, and, and you know, um, again, being a strong Impact fan, you know, uh, no stranger to the cinematics. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, transitioning to you know, more, mainstream, more mainstream companies, um that just uh the kings of overindulgence like wwe has been ran into the ground and um you know because with them more is more not less but but i think here was benefited this because i really wasn't i've never really been a mad Taven guy i think I, I appreciated the work he's put in over time yeah um you know transition out that kingdom thing because it, it very much he could have got lost in the shuffle right. Uh and tried to buoy elsewhere and go to another company and try to thrive, but he's he's another guy that stuck around and really you know uh honed his honed his craft and that character and really been entrusted um as we saw when he you know the company put a title on him um that he's honed so many things about himself so when this thing with vincent came up when he came back it was kind of head scratching to me and i think a lot of it because i just didn't see the whole storyline with with vincent and, and whatever his narrative is coming but um one thing that's been a saving grace for me is these two have absolutely gone balls to the wall when it's come to the the, the interaction that they've had. Like, it's like every time they touch, it feels like a hardcore massacre. Mm.
0: You
1: know, even when it's a normal match. And I appreciate that, like, you know, going 110%, um, even, you know, when the scenario don't necessarily call for it, it's just made it feel like even if you don't get the reasons, you feel the emotion of it. So, yeah.
0: You know, yeah. I, th- I think as well, it's like, Taven kind of reminds me of those old school guys like Dusty Rhodes and Tully Blanchard in the sense of it's very visceral with him. Yeah. You see a visceral approach. You know, it was, funnily enough, we were talking about the Kanellis-Taven-Bennett uh, um, uh, uh, tag team in New Japan, and, like, Taven then is, like, a completely different character to when Bennett left and he had to survive by himself and he kind of took this whole new direction and it worked so well for him that he made him a main event star. He's a very much self-made man and I appreciate that as a wrestling fan. And yeah, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, I think he's, I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for. Yeah. And, and, and I think it is just because again, it's kind of one wrong guy, wrong time. He wasn't the guy that knew the Ring of Honor fans wanted at the time, but it's who they got. And if he'd been presented in a slightly different light, I think they'd really got him. And I think they get him more now than they did then.
1: Yeah. And, you know, going into this match, like, like, like I said, you know, we, we've seen so many different variations of this cinematic. And I, think he, and I think it felt like they knew that, which is why so much of it, like you said, had that visceral feel to it. Um, yeah. i think one of the favorite spots was uh he threw him down the stairs and you know he he jumped and hit that elbow like it it, it really came off well uh, <laughs> other stuff of that nature so i think they found a unique mix this is not something i, I want to see consistently at all with this company because like, this is this is not um what they do or what they need to do Um uh, but i think it fit with with these yeah. guys especially when you look at the fact that it's going to a no contest like whatever this evolved into it's, it's definitely a fight forever scenario just because of the, the personal animosity that, that this is brought out between these two guys. So, uh, like I said, I appreciate the work that these guys have put in throughout this whole thing. And the fact that they've been able to keep this interesting with all these physical confrontations, overly physical confrontation that they had, I think that's, that speaks to the, uh, both these guys.
0: Yes. I agree with you. It's, it's been intriguing, certainly, uh, for this, this particular show. Um, where are we? Um, oh, yeah. Who was the bloke that threw them off the balcony at the end of the match? Do you know? Because I, I couldn't figure out who it was.
1: No, I didn't uh, confound it as well. Um, I am sure if we catch up
0: with Ring of Honor Television in the coming weeks, we will find out. Yes, sir. Indeed. Next, we have the first championship match, of, or sorry, second championship match of the evening. Jonathan Gresham successfully defended his Ring of Honor Pure Championship against Dak Draper, if you are not familiar with pure rules, it is you're only allowed three rope breaks in a match. After that, the submissions can continue with a rope. Submissions and pinfalls can continue with a rope, but without a rope break, you will just be counted out or you will, or they will just stay on you forever. 20 count outside the ring because in Ring of Honor there isn't a count outside the ring. Um, and, uh, I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, oh yeah. If you get punt, if you use a closed fist, you'll receive a warning. If you use two closed fists, you'll be disqualified. And if anyone interferes in the match, they will be fired from ring of honor, which is a good example of why rules are a good thing because it adds intrigue to a match. And this was a good example of how to lay a match out using brawls and then use the rules to tell the story. It makes it so much easier. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Jonathan Gresham is an exemplary mat wrestling connoisseur, the octopus, as in the calamari, because, of course, the original calamari catch kings were Jonathan Gresham and Chris Brooks, um, the CCK. And uh, Dak Draper is also a very adept, slick professional wrestler, and it also intrigues me is because Jonathan Gresham, to be blunt, is awfully short. Mm-hmm. It, it, everyone looks like a monster compared to him. And then you see this little guy just demolish people and it's ace. So I kind of like this match a lot. What were your thoughts on it, Marcus?
1: No, I mean, this, this, was, this was some great stuff. I mean, look, if you're going to put the pure uh, uh, tournament and the championship concept back on the map, you spearheaded with somebody like Jonathan Gresham. Um, because he's, he's just that guy. Um, and like you said, you know, he definitely is a shorty and as a fellow show that I can relate. Um, but, uh, he's, he's never, he's always taken that and, and, you know, kind of used it to his advantage, um, and kind of very much honed his style around like, okay, like obviously, you know, strength and size and he, and he's solely not malnourished by any stretch. Like he's, he's, you know, he's kind of thick. For his size, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, going against somebody like Dak Draper is—it's it's weird because it, it comes off on, on first glance like it's, it's like the David and the Goliath scenario. But because of how Jonathan is, his ability is like—he almost comes off like the Goliath. Yeah, it's, and I think that's what's great because obviously Dak has the has the size. And you, you would think, oh, obviously, all the other advantages. But, but, but Jonathan, just like you said, is the octopus. He just breaks you down. And that's what he did to this young man here. Like, he almost probably would have, you know, preferred going against somebody like, it seems like his size like a Josh the Goods Woods because that's something he could, you know, he can game plan for. But Jonathan will change something in mid-match and, and it just uh, throw you off, you know. Like, he is Ring of Honor's, um, you know, Zack Sabre in that way. Yeah. It was yeah. just, you can you can game plan for him, you know, uh, all you want to. And the minute that bell rings, you got to throw it all out the door. Uh, so, you know, um, this was good stuff. I hope we get more consistent and stuff like this. Definitely want Jonathan to stay healthy um, so he could, you know, continue to highlight guys like Draper and, and stuff of that nature. Like I said, this pure tournament concept and championship has been one of the guiding lights back to getting back to, you know, like I said, a level of uh, historical normalcy with the company. So this was definitely some good stuff.
0: Yeah, I think I think as well for me is like, it creates, like, a Ring of Honor is only about legitimacy and being legitimate. And um, you know, the pure Ring of Honor Championship is about legitimacy. It's about, and it sounds daft, but it's little things like statistics. There's not a lot of statistics in record, wrestling. There's how long the match lost went and who won and lost um but you know you can tell different stories with statistics and it makes it seem more legitimate with statistics like they were saying like Gresham never touched the ropes in the entire pure wrestling tournament yet he used the the ropes to his advantage in this match because he he got out of things quickly because he knew he was against a bigger opponents so it's going to hurt more when he had, he had more leverage so he used those up early to concentrate on getting an advantage somewhere else so it adds more psychology levels to the match, and that's that's really important, I think. Um, no. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Next up was a tag team title match. The tag team champions Le Bestia del Ring, who was replacing Dragon Lee again, and Kenny King <laughs> from <laughs> La Facción Ignorables, defeated the Foundations. Or sorry, were defeated by Rhett Titus and Tracy Williams of the Foundation. And again, a very entertaining match where Amy Rose didn't actually make any mistakes, but got blamed for the loss by Kenny King and then was forcibly removed from the foundation. Sorry, forcibly removed from the faction ignorables, which again, we kind of uh, had a go at New Japan Pro Wrestling for doing this um, a while ago in New Japan with B Priestley. I see less of an issue with this, but I still don't think it's great because at least Amy Rose has some agency within Ring of Honor. She can come in and drop some chairs on people and no doubt she will. <laughs> uh, in the long run, I think it's there's more agency for Amy Rose as a manager in Ring of Honor than there would be for B Priestley who cannot wrestle or touch anyone in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I think it's slightly better, but still, it's violence against women who can't defend themselves. That's not great. Um, but it was better done than that. So, Rhett Titus and Tracy Williams are a tight team though and, uh, Tracy Williams ends up being a double champion by the end of the evening. That seems to be important.
1: What's your thoughts yeah. on Marcus? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him man. Uh, you know, Rhett, uh, you know, like you said, the, uh, foundation definitely needed. Well, like you said, this, this, this kind of highlights, like going back to your point about the faction wars and I think that's very much benefit not just because, um, You know, it's it's a very linear concept and kinda easy to follow, but these aren't just factions for factions' sake. These you know, these guys kinda fit, they have a direction, they have a specific style. Um, and obviously we've seen that too in New Japan, but you know, um, you know, there's there's a certain specificity to it here as well. Um, and it works. I think um one hundred percent agree with everything you say about Aimon Rose, like I'm not really wasn't familiar with it at all before this show, but she very much seemed like somebody that fit within the the Le fashion brand specifically coming out with somebody like Kenny King, and really felt like she was giving him the ride act even before the match. Mm. And I'm like, this is kind of the energy you need with the with the you know going with all that machismo swag that comes along with that faction. I thought it was a great mix, but it also <laughs> to your other point, like almost kind of fits the narrative better because. You know, the K I N G King is not gonna take two major L's. Yeah. one where it really wasn't even his L to take. <laughs> it did, you know, not have some type of scapegoat. I'm like, I like I'm the I'm the king. Like I'm not finna take two L's. Like somebody got to get blamed for one of them. Um and, and unfortunately she became the scapegoat. So we'll see if that, you know, uh maybe blows back on them Um, whatnot. But uh yeah. You know, like you said, the foundation is is looking good. Um, they they're kind of draped in the towels right now, so that's cool. And and uh, on uh, at least has one guarantee by the end of the night. You know, yeah. so it was a solid tag match.
0: Indeed. And that led us to the main event, which was Roosh, who defeated Jay Meetle. Jay Meeful, Jay Lethal, <laughs> in eighteen minutes. And oh god, I'm having a day here. In 18 minutes and 31 seconds uh, for the Ring of Honor World's Championship in an absolutely corking match. I forgot how good Jay Lethal was, I'll be honest. And I really did forget how good Roosh was. Um, And yeah, they had a blinder. It it wasn't my match of the year or anything, but it was thoroughly enjoyable and compelled me. I could see the story they were trying to tell. Roosh is the the leader of La Faction Ignorables. Um, He is a very much a stoic champion he won the champion as a baby face i think a long time ago now nearly over a year ago didn't he yeah, yeah. and yes. the built the faction around him and jay lethal obviously coming in as a member of the foundation uh as the babyface, the former two-time champion really the 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 franchise player of ring of honor these days as far as the main event is concerned it was an incredibly important match for roosh to win which he did with help from his faction mates after eighteen minutes and thirty one seconds. What do you think of the match itself? Cause there was a bit of business towards the end of the show, but we'll talk about that in a second. What's your thoughts on this?
1: No, I dug this. I mean, you know, Bruce's whole, you know, narrative has been the guy this guy's been on a tear and obviously he won it, like you said, as a baby face, but I really think, you know, um the bit of that next gear got turned up when he turned heel and also this faction is being built around him. And that that whole Stork vibe just it, it just works for the guy, you know, that's, that's his thing. And, you know, you looking at where he is now against somebody like Jay, who, you know, is, has grown to be another pillar in the company. Um, and and also I think his first run, was one of uh, you know, some of my favorite stuff I've ever watched in Ring of Honor. And obviously you got a second one, but that, that first one just is so memorable. And that's kind of where you feel like Roosh is, um, at, at, at the moment. Um, but but Jay is that guy who always feels like he get back to that mountaintop. But you know, looking at somebody like Roosh, you know, and it feels like he's the only guy. But then you, you kind of clear the shadows and realize like he's not alone, and you mm-hmm. don't fight one guy. It's extremely talented as Roosh is because he's by no means a scrub. Like he's been the champion that long for a reason. Um, so you know, it really was a cracking match. You kind of it kind of gets easy to forget to your point about how good these guys are because they kind of get get locked into these, these consistent zones uh, that you kind of get numb to it, but then you put them against somebody, you know, uh, you know, they can, they can clash with like a lethal and then, you know, the chemistry just catches fire, you know, and and, and I'm looking forward to seeing if they can, you know, capitalize off this and give Bruce more opponents like that, because I think that's, that's really where you go kind of get to the nuts and bolts with it. Yeah,
0: for sure. It's, it's, um, it's just good, just solid wrestling that told the story correctly Jay was desperate for the win he wanted to reclaim the championship for Ring of Honor and for the foundation Uh and Roosh was desperate to keep the championship and willing to do anything to keep the belt and we know that Jay's been in that position where he was willing to do anything to keep the belt and that's kind of a nice fragile story for a guy who's uh, a crossroads again in his career. Can he pull off the big win again? Will he go that extra mile to get the big win? In this case, he tried to, but he couldn't get the job done. And Roush had his, his his army to come and do the job for him, which is how Roush kept the title. At the end of the match, um, uh, of course, as you'd imagine, the foundation came down to help out Jay, and uh, La Faction Ignorables was there to help out um, Rouge. And then Brody King turned up and brought his new faction, which features Chris Dickinson, Tony Deppin, and the returning former Ring of Honor champion, Homicide. What's your thoughts on that faction and how does that change the dynamic in Ring of Honor?
1: Yeah, it is, you know, definitely intriguing, uh, if nothing else. I think, I, you know, I've never been bored. When homicides turned up in anyway. the <laughs> um, You know, it's... um, And Brody, you know, Brody King's another, you know, one of those guys um, who has been, you know, doing some, you know, good building blocks and what have you and Ring of Honor, been another one of those guys to, to look at. um, But he's also not necessarily had, I guess, the right amount of consistent direction for where, you know, by his own admission, he was trying to go through the character. So I think this is something that, you know, kind of really be able to hone and aim that focus um, with somebody like Homicide, you know, that only makes it better because the unpredictability is continues to be there. So you bring in another faction mm-hmm. against, you know, Lafacione. And I think, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you if you're making a stew, this has a lot of peppers in it. <laughs> so I'm definitely, I'm definitely intrigued by that because you put somebody like Ruse against, you know, somebody like a Brody King, and that that could that also presents a, a good uh, scenario because he's somebody that's been beckoning for that title for a while too. Yeah. So definitely looking forward to seeing where that's going. That's that's some good business right there. If they 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 book it right, that's some good business.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Isn't it? I mean, someone was complaining about like AEW having so many factions this week, and. And Ring of Honor do factions, and and New Japan do factions, and my God, DDT, not DDT, Dragon Gate have factions coming out of their ears. There's literally like twelve.
1: Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's so it's like it's it's like a continuing staple. It's a, it's a foundational staple in New Japan, but it's it's it goes to show you also how you book it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's it's all about how you book it because, like you know, we've seen. Like, we had, we've had, we lived through aces and eights. Yes, yes. We survived uh, aces and eights. Nobody knows better than us about, you know, the, the concept of the factions and how, and how you do it and, and shouldn't book them. Yeah. So, I, like, again, this stuff works, uh, you know, because of the guys involved in the, in the, in the overall narrative of the direction of these factions. That's why, it's, you know, it doesn't get convoluted between the foundation and LaFast John because one has a very divine... Defined, I should say, uh, point and direction and goals. And the other one has the same. Uh, And when you put those two and they have them collide, all you need to do from there is just let the workers work.
0: Yeah,
1: that's it. Not try to overthink it or overbook it or just, just (laughs) it's like I always keep going mentally down the rabbit hole of what that was, Aces and Aces was. And it's horrendous. Like the greatest part of that thing ended up being the funeral. Which ironically, Impact has kind of honed the, the ability to, to create interesting funerals uh, for <laughs> characters, which is which is you know interesting in its own right. But that's Impact for you. So um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to see what they do here. You know,
0: uh, yeah, it's uh, well, we'll see. But yes, Aces and Nates are a good example of what how not to book. And what made me made us laugh about the funeral, of course, was. The funeral for Aces and Nates, if you've not seen it, is interesting wrestling television purely on the grounds because it literally states in 20 minutes, everything we did for the last year was atrocious. And you shouldn't have been bothered watching it. And you're a damn fool for actually being entertained by it. So not only had they insulted their audience for 12 months with this never-ending storyline that required an entire episode of Impact to explain to its audience... They, they uh, all their audience idiots for watching it in the first place.
1: It was the most blatant form of morbid vindication you'll see.
0: <laughs> it's just like,
1: it is like literally
0: everything that was wrong with Impact Wrestling in a nutshell at mm-hmm. that particular time period. There's great stuff about Impact in its history. There's some dreadful stuff about Impact in its history. But the whole Aces and hates thing is the worst things you can possibly, and I know there's big fans of Aces and Eights out there who would love an Aces and eights comeback, and thank God we haven't had one. Um, but, yeah, it's... And I, and I don't get it. I... I, I uh, <laughs> But there you go. Um, yes. As you probably noticed, we, we're not touching WrestleMania, as we never do on the Troopany show. This is a WrestleMania-free zone. We don't talk about WrestleMania because there's plenty of other podcasts that do a much better job than we would, because they're interested if we're not. Um, well, we are. We are interested. But I would like to mention, special mention, to Bianca Bella and Sasha Banks for main eventing WrestleMania last night. An incredible achievement for two women who are incredibly talented professional wrestlers and enjoy their work very, very much. And of course, as two people of color to take that main event slot, not the first two women of African-American descent to take that main event slot, the first two African-Americans to take that main event slot in uh, in WrestleMania. And I think Marcus, you will agree that is an incredible achievement for those two people.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was just it, it was just beautiful uh, and, and so meaningful and impactful in, in so many ways. Not just because of what those two delivered, but the acknowledgement of what that was as they were delivering it, and uh, just the elation overall from the response and, and everything. Like, just, that was just the perfect example of all the right things coming together for good. You know? Yes, absolutely, and.
0: When wrestling's great, it can be really great, and that's a cool, cool thing. Uh, next week's show, we will be looking at uh, the other side of Mania, because we always look at the indie shows that go off in Mania weekend and try and make sense of it, and John Dinsdale is curating those for me. Um, so he told me to watch Bloodsport, because apparently it's excellent, and some other stuff too. I, I really enjoyed the For the Culture show, the last time they ran one, so I'm going to watch that and something else that John decides on. <laughs> so it could be anything. Someone can get stabbed because it's John, probably. Um, we also have a show coming up soon, which will be a different angle on Canadian wrestling with a friend of mine, which we've already got in the bag because I recorded that yesterday. I don't know when that one's going to go out, probably in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we've got another show this week from myself and Christy as we fine-tune the In The Beginning series. Uh, I'll not tell you too much about it, uh, but it'll be an intriguing show. So thank you very much for listening to me today. We're, um, I'm very much listening to Marcus too. Where can we find you on the internet there, Marcus?
1: Always find me on Twitter at P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. That's Paradox Kid on Twitter. Always down to talk to, uh, you know, nice, sensible people.
0: <laughs> but you're on Twitter, Marcus.
1: Oh, uh, yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll always leave it to me holding out some form of hope.
0: Oh, well, you know, we, we can we can try, can't we? Yes. We can try. You can find me at Sherry Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show, and you can also find us on Patreon, where you can keep The Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the tours today. Congratulations to Ring of Honor on their 19 years of existence, which you wouldn't believe would be so hard to do, But they've had ups, they've had downs, and they produced a very good anniversary show. We'll speak to you soon. Take care. Bye.